Welcome to the podcast, The Caring Scientist, Mission Sustainable. This is the podcast where we discuss sustainability in science and we give you hands-on tips on how you can reduce the environmental impact of your lab work. Welcome to our podcast. My name is Adriana. And I'm Nicoline. In this episode, we talk to sustainability consultant Kerstin Hermut Kleinschmidt about the eco-mapping method, which is a framework for labs to become more sustainable. Welcome, Kerstin. It's great to have you on the podcast. Could you introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Yes, sure. So my name is Kerstin Hermut Kleinschmidt. I'm based in Germany and I'm the owner of Neop Sustainability Consulting. And I'm working as a sustainability consultant. I'm a speaker, I'm giving workshops, and I'm also publishing on different sustainability topics and always a strong focus on the life sciences. And what about your background? Where did you start and how did you, uh, let's say, end up doing something with sustainability and life science? Yeah, actually, I studied chemistry and did my PhD in microbiology. So really some years ago. <laughs> and uh, afterward, I worked in the life sciences industry. So first in a sales position and later on in technical support. And I really liked this work as you're really getting in contact with a lot of people, with a lot of method. You can give uh, support to these people. But actually then there was my family break. I had two children and then... I, when I went back to work and I was really thinking, do I really want to go back there where I was before? And I was thinking, no, then I really would like to do something else. It sounds a little bit pathetic, but when you're having children, then you also think about really what do we leave them? What are the things that you could do to make difference? And also during my break, I've tried out things like living with less plastic, eating less meat, being vegetarian. And I mean, this was somehow the idea to think, okay, I would like really to go into this environmental and sustainability direction. That's very nice. I don't think that's pathetic at all. I think that's a classic story of people who become parents that suddenly maybe sustainability was already important, but now it becomes extra important to them. And then how did you transition? Like how, how did you make that happen? Now that you wanted to have your work life more centered around sustainability as well. It was really a process. I was sure I wanted to do something with sustainability. But on the other hand, I always also wanted to combine my scientific background with the topic of sustainability. I did some research and I was, of course, aware that labs are, are working with toxic reagents, um, that you're using a lot of plastics in the lab. But when I found out that you have these huge energy consumptions of freezers, of fume hoods, of lab buildings and so on, then I thought, okay, um, there has to be done something. Uh, because I, I did not find any initiatives in Germany. And I thought, okay, perhaps this is a, this is a way where I could go on. On the other side, as I've already been working in the, in the company environment, I also thought, okay, They also need to change. They have to have ecologic products, sustainable products. They have to be sustainable um, themselves. My idea was really to, let's say, have the life sciences industry in my focus and to help 
on the one hand companies to become more sustainable and on the other hand to support the people in the lab to work more sustainable. Very nice. Those are also, I think that's a really important point that we need both sides. Sometimes when you work in a lab, you forget that the products also have a huge environmental impact. And even if you behave super green in the lab, we still need the manufacturers to change as well. And the same with the manufacturers, they can do a lot on their side. They can definitely reduce the environmental impact of their products, but they can't, they can't monitor or control how lab users are using their products. So you are saying you have a little uh, consultancy company and you work as a consultant. So more specifically, how do you help companies become more sustainable or how do you help lab users become more sustainable? I think a little bit like, like you also, Nicolina, <laughs> like giving um, workshops, giving presentations, giving seminars. So that's on sort of the lab user side. And then do you also help develop products or like try to make manufacturers change their products a little bit? Or how does that work? So, for example, uh, regarding products, I'm a member of Egnaton, which is the European Association for Sustainable Lab Technology. And they invented uh, a certification system, Egnaton CERT, for big instruments like for fume hoods or for autoclaves. I'm a member of the audit team. In the, in the CERT certification system, you're, you're looking, for example, on the environmental impact. Um, so how much uh, water and energy is an autoclave using? Uh, what about safety? Also, what about the economic impact? So really looking also into life cycle costs. It also helps the, um, uh, the companies themselves to look into their products and to really know, okay, this is our resource consumption. We need so and so uh, kilowatt hours of energy, for example, and then this could this could help them to improve their product. Very nice and super useful, I imagine. So I know you have another very useful tool, so to say, in your toolbox, and that's the eco-mapping method that I heard you speak about some weeks ago. Can you tell us what the eco-mapping method is for? Like, who is it for and how does it work? Eco-mapping method is, is a method which is normally used in companies and small and middle-sized companies. Also, if universities would like to introduce um, an environmental management system, eco-mapping method is part of the so-called EMAS Easy method. EMAS is an environmental management management audit scheme, and um, it's a way to implement an environmental management system in companies or also in universities. And to implement such an environmental management system takes a lot of resources. So um, people have to do it. You have bureaucratic, and um, you have to put up a process and so on. And many small companies or middle-sized companies they fear a little bit all this work and there is a method which is called the emas easy method smart so for those who don't have so many resources to go all in on the emas then they can do the emas easy when you're starting um, with emas the first step is um, an environmental assessment 
And if you're doing this in in a company, you would start perhaps with looking all into all the processes you're having. You're also um, you're looking into okay, what what is our energy bill and so on. And with the eco mapping method, it's different. You're having the ground floor of your company, and then you're going through all your rooms. And then you're looking, okay, where do we have an environmental impact regarding energy? Where do we have an environmental impact according waste or water and so on? And then you have in the end your eco maps, which is nothing else than your ground floor plan where you put all this information there. So you basically just mark it. So here we use water, here we generate waste, here we consume energy with the freezers. Yeah, and you put also there what could be changed. Then you have uh, your plan. And then you see, oh, we have our freezer here. This freezer is on minus 80 degrees. And then you could say, okay, that's a lot of energy. Is there something we could change? Could we change it to minus 70? How about our freezer management? Do we really do all the things that are possible? So like removing dust from the filters and making sure that the freezers are not too close to each other and that they're well organized on the inside, all of that. For the eco mapping, you also have uh, some kind of uh, guidance. So for every for every aspect, you have sort of a checklist, sort of questions which could guide you through. So, for example, regarding the aspect of energy, there will be questions like: um, Is this instrument in standby? Um, how many how many hours in the day do we use it? Do we know the heating time and so on? And these questions also help you when you're going through the lab to give you some ideas what you are looking at. Um, but you're free to really look at other aspects. Yeah, and then you can really go through the lab and say, okay, here's something we have to change immediately. Here's something we should uh, have a look at. And that this is something which has not a high priority, but we have to have a look at later on. So basically, let's say uh, I work in a lab, then all lab members for an afternoon or full day, we sort of, we make teams or small teams where, let's say, I look at energy, another one look at waste, someone else looks at water or whatever. And then we use this day to walk around and try to find all the potentials. Okay, here's a potential for less energy consumption. Here's a potential for less waste production. And then we all gather this information together and we prioritize it. So there are all these potentials in the lab. So which ones are we going to do something about right away? Which ones should we look into and who does it? And which one will we park for now, but we will look at it at a later time point? Yeah, and it's really also about noticing how is this connected to my processes, my routines, to the supply, and so on. And with really focusing on one topic, like on energy, or also on risk and safety, which is also an important aspect of the environmental assessment, you really see more than when looking at all the things at once. I think that makes a lot of sense. Then you're just laser focused on only one subtopic and walking around with only those goggles on and looking for potentials in terms of energy or whatever. Yeah, that's really true. And I've done this training myself, not in the lab, but in a company. And it was really amazing. When you focus on one thing, then you really see more. 
and this really helps you and this really gets you a, uh, in the end a broader picture. Yeah, I think what I really like uh, about this eco-mapping method is first of all that it's a group thing. Like it sort of, you have to take the whole group and do this together because very often it's just one passionate person or maybe two passionate people in a, in a lab who are really trying to drive the sustainability forward. But that's super difficult when not everyone has been part of it and then they don't really feel ownership over it. But I'm thinking with this method, everyone is involved. Maybe they don't like the idea of doing it, but while doing it, they will feel ownership, hopefully. And then also, I think there are great systems out there like Green Lab certifications like LEAF or My Green Lab certification, but not all institutes or centers are tapping into that in parentheses yet, maybe. But this is a way where you can sort of still have a structure and a framework that you can use or tap into and then actually it's sort of like following a protocol but where it's still very much based on your like the specific circumstances in the lab i think that's that's very nice and then hopefully because you do it together and you prioritize the different potentials together then you already have a starting plan and then hopefully it will that could be like the kickoff of, of changing the lab to a more sustainable place to work yeah That's right. And uh, it's a very good summary. You're doing it in, in a team. You're also seeing there are little things which could be changed without a great investment or without a great change in a method. It's sometimes it's really also about teens which, uh, which could be changed. And, and I think the last thing is, as you're doing it in your lab and in your work environment, and you've uh, already done this process once, and then you're coming back to the lab, I think you're getting sen more sensitive to the things you're doing. So more aware of how things could be done differently, maybe. Yeah, I think so. And I think you're uh, starting to change. You're starting to see the things differently. And yeah, and as I said, it, it could be one, it could be little points. Mm. Uh, you don't have to change all the things at once, but you can do it in your own time, in your own path. And um, I think starting is, is the mo uh, most important point and the rest comes later. Agree. Yes. And starting is also the most difficult point. And I think you're very right about that people might or hopefully will start to see things differently. And I think that's also what's most important, really, because if you just get a list of things you have to do, but you're not able to see other potentials yourself, then, I mean, I'm not an expert in people's labs, right? I can say some generic things about labs, but the people working in a specific lab, they are the ones who can really tell the right potentials in that lab. So if you can sort of make people see things differently, then I think that's the best thing you can really do. Then they can come up with really good ideas on how to do things more green. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can come from outside, but the knowledge is, is in the lab. Exactly. And they also know what's doable, right? So maybe there's a reason why we don't downscale in this experiment, because whatever. And maybe this is something where I would think, oh, probably you can't do this better, but they're like, you know what? Maybe we could actually do something slightly That's different. That's right. So hopefully some of our listeners are now intrigued and would like to maybe look into the eco-mapping method or maybe even try to suggest it in their own labs that they could find an afternoon or a day to do this together. So if they want to learn more about this, where should they look? If you're German, then there's an article in German, which you could, I think we could link it in, in the podcast. Yes, we'll put a link in the show note. Yeah. Then I'll have a blog on my website 
where I write it in the English version and also on the blog of the Towards Greener Research Network, which did this workshop in December, will be a, a blog post about the eco-mapping method. Wonderful. Then we'll put the links in the show notes and then people can read more and uh, and maybe even try it out in their own labs. Now, maybe one final question for you, because you have been in this field for much longer than I have. And I'm curious to hear if you've seen like the interest, how has that changed the interest in sustainable science since you started some years ago and now? And where do you think it's going? It's changed a lot. So when I started, there was the interest, but there was still this, um, okay, but we cannot so easily change. And it, it's interesting but what you're saying, but there was no, okay, um, I would like to change something. The year before Corona started, then really you could see a huge, huge interest uh, in this topic. So, I mean, you have all these different networks. You also have the European uh, Laboratory Sustainable Network. And I think a lot is going on and a lot of uh, a lot is changing at the moment. I also think from the manufacturer side, there is a lot of interest in becoming more sustainable themselves and also in um, offering more sustainable products. So I'm for myself, I'm looking um, forward and I think we will see a lot of change in the next years. Nice. So a very positive uh, view on the future. Yeah, I would say so. With that, I'll just say thanks a lot for joining today, Kerstin. It was super interesting to talk to you about both your background and your work and the eco-mapping method. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to get in touch, please feel free to email us at podcast at avasustain.com. That is podcast at avasustain.com. We've also put this email address and other useful links in the notes below this podcast. Till next time.